Hello and welcome to the Herbal Hour. Today we have a guest, Jake Duncan, to speak about mindfulness, meditation, and the spiritual path. Uh, Jake Duncan and myself, we've been meditating for quite some time now, um, since late high school, college days, and uh, we've both definitely gained many benefits from it. We've had all sorts of philosophical conversations about the, uh, the benefits. So today we're bringing you an episode talking about what what's really the deal with mindfulness. Is it uh, helpful for living life? How do you do it? Those kind of things. So um, just to start off, how are you doing, Jake? Oh, that's great, man. Uh, <clears throat> I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's good to be on here. And uh, these are some some nice talk, uh, topics to talk about. Uh, <laughs> if we can, if we can do it, if we can manage it, I believe we can, even at this, uh, somewhat late hour, we shall get into the, the zone of Zen. Yeah. We've had, <laughs> uh, quite enough time of preparation, right? Uh, fiddling with electronics, trying to get the, the recording. Yeah, set you up. know, uh, technology <laughs> always is like a challenge for the meditator. It's like an opportunity to, uh, oh. to test your <laughs> mindfulness. You know, if you can, I know you can well, keep man. it cool during uh <laughs> during technical uh misfunctions and the like so it's true what got you interested in meditating <clears throat> what was the you did man <laughs> <laughs> do you remember do you remember i've oh, told this story often I, actually to others. I, I do i do remember yeah we were um we were sitting in my room and i showed you like a breathing meditation technique and uh yeah. Interestingly, it was a really deep one. That was... It was a very deep meditation. <laughs> that actually kind of brings up a, a kind of important point to discuss is, can you really learn to meditate on your own? Because it kind of seems to me, at least, that you almost, it needs to be transmitted to you by someone who knows the experience or something. Because hmm. it's like, um, a lot of times people like try to sit down and meditate and then they're like, you know, I can't do it. My mind is you know, racing back and forth. Obviously that's the nature of the minds. Um, but when you have somebody actually guide you through it and kind of be in the room with you, it, mm. it lets you feel what it is you're trying to experience so that you can find it for yourself. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I think there's something special about just being in the presence of someone who has experience in meditation. I mean, and even if they, you know, maybe haven't called it that, or, or some people might not practice formal sitting meditation or this, this kind of thing, but, um, to, there is a kind of transmission that happens that it's not a conceptual transmission, right? Because when you're meditating, you're not trying to add knowledge to, to your bank of concepts, right? You're not trying to uh, to prove something other than, you know, uh, to prove it experientially. So, and that's only, you know, so to speak, there's not like a logical, uh, deduction going yeah, on. There. Absolutely. Mindfulness and meditation, we think of them as activities, but really they're kind of inactivity in some sense. <laughs> they're kind of just, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. allowing yourself to be aware of your experience of your breath or feelings of yeah. your body or something like that. And you try to do nothing. Yeah, well, that's no. that's like a, a catch twenty two for sure. <laughs> no, but I know what you mean. It's um, it's not exactly uh, doing anything. I think you know you hear like doing versus being, right? And, and what does this mean? But it, this, you know, um, there's a lot of talk. There's a mm. lot of talk about meditation, and, and 
a lot of concepts about it. And I think actually, um, yeah, it, <laughs> if you can kind of, there's a presence to people um, that, <laughs> that I think is just, it's tangible. It, it, it brings you joy to be around certain people. For me, I see it in, in Muji all mm, the time. Yeah, Muji's. This guy, Muji's, Muji, uh, check out his YouTube Muji's channel. Muji's pretty great. He's a kind of spiritual teacher that does uh, lectures. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he, he's like, yeah, I'm not a teacher. Like, I'm not here to teach mm, you anything. But yet he teaches. There's nothing to teach. <laughs> <laughs> For hours and hours on YouTube. It's uh, everything about, yeah. everything about mindfulness is kind of um, enigmatic. And I think it comes from the way that uh, like Zen Buddhism approaches meditation, which is very much about just being in your natural state. So like if you think you're doing something special, that's why they call uh, Zazen or the sitting meditation, uh, sitting quietly and doing nothing. Like it's not even anything else, which is kind of a really, it's kind of a really wild proposition to tell somebody who hasn't heard of it, like just sit and do nothing. Cause they're like, why would I do that? (laughs) That sounds like a waste of time. But actually, I don't think one can really truly get rest without um, having like moments of mindfulness. And the interesting thing about meditation and mindfulness and everything is after you practice it for many years, it becomes kind of just part of your um, everyday experience. Like you are just mindful of your body and your breath. Like you might be like walking somewhere or you might be sitting in your car at a light and you're just like noticing your breath. And it's... It actually, it makes me wonder because it's like not like we can really remember what it was like before we were constantly just always aware because I don't think that like when I was younger before I started meditating that I like, you know, even paid attention to my breath. I have no memory of that. But now it's like just it's like an implicit thing. It's like um, it's like walking. It just always happens. Um, it becomes a more kind of integrated part of your um, your being, which I, I find that very beautiful about mindfulness because it's they say that you should, you know, have a sitting practice where you sit and do some kind of mindfulness or meditation, but that the real practice is life. Like that's just getting you prepped and like relaxed and centered on life. It's not, uh, for any other reason. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. I think, uh, we've talked about this before, how meditation is really just a tool, right? And, uh, it's the end goal isn't to, sit and do nothing uh and there is some way i think that we can um we can talk about you know what does this look like when it is brought into the rest of life what does uh you know is is meditation anti-thinking right is is uh is the goal to get rid of the mind i think you know um it would be good for us to kind of probably back up yeah that's that's actually exactly what i wanted to to bring up for discussion is what's really the purpose of um meditation at its at its root uh we agree that it's a tool what is it a tool for yeah let's do this would you like me to yes please It's meditation a tool for it's it's so good man um what is meditation well i think you know it's it's so interesting i mean anyone who might be listening to this would probably you know they were brought to meditation at, at one point or another right and i think probably the roots of meditation for for 
a lot of people start. I mean, there's definitely curiosity, right? And uh, there's like kind of a mystical, uh, you know, mystical dimension you might, to you know, it. Hear yeah. The, yeah, you hear, you hear, you hear different things about it. Um, but I think really what it comes down to is this. So when we try and think about what we want out of life, right? Um, our views on this, you know, of course they change over time. Um, and they usually start with simple things, right? We were talking about this yesterday. I'll kind of just rehash it a bit where you've got, you know, simple ideas about yourself. Like I want, you know, I want that girlfriend. I want, uh, you know, my friends to, you know, I want something to be different about this. I want, uh, you know, that new job. I want more money, whatever it is, right? At whatever point in your life, you start to kind of realize like, this just isn't working. Like, like the more, uh, that I try and fight to control the external world and the more that I base my happiness on not only the external world, but ultimately my ideas of the external world, mm-hmm. you, you say, okay, all right, like uh, enough, you know, okay. I've had it. I've, I've, I've tried, I've tried, you know, it, 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 it isn't working. It, this isn't the way, right? So, so where's the way, you know, and you might find, well, okay, um, it's within, right? So you'll say, okay, um, happiness only comes from within, right? This is something that a lot of people hear about. And it's like, I, I recognize this, right? And I say, okay, I get that. I get that. Okay. Happiness only comes from within. Okay. I want to, I want to be happy now. Uh, I decide now. <laughs> That's, and, uh... then, and then, and then what, and then what? <laughs> we, we see this, we see this, um, Dad, I say this, I decide to be happy. I fucking mean it too. Oh, oh no. Okay. You'll have to edit it's that. all good. <laughs> <clears throat> I mean it too. But <laughs> what 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 really is going on here, right? There, there's something that has to we have to go deeper. We have to see um, for ourselves what the nature of 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 all of this is. What what is the nature of the mind what is the nature of this voice that says i want to be happy is that reliable is it a reliable voice where, where does that come from is that me right now i also want to just throw out there um on the general you know to answer this question in a more general way um this isn't necessarily what draws people to meditation i think that in a way you know science has done a good job in shedding light on the yeah there's there's a, a there's an immense amount of um research showing that meditation is helpful for pretty much everything. It's actually one of the most researched of um, so-called alternative therapies um, right. with positive results. I mean, <clears throat> it That's makes awesome. it makes a lot of sense because um, from our understanding, stress is really uh, the underlying root to a lot of issues uh, from mental to physical. And that's kind of uh, how I think of meditation is – in, in the life that we live, in the culture we live, the conditioning we have, we, mm. we have a, a mind run amok. Like, we are not in control of our minds. Our minds, you know, bring us into negative places. We ruminate on things. We get distracted. We don't focus on the beauty of life. And, and where does that come from? And, and as you said... I think it's conditioning. When you start yeah. to look, well, I, yes, when you start to look, you see, um, <laughs> right, that, as you said, there, what is what is in control of that process, and is there any way out, so to speak? And, you know, we've also all tried to 
it's like, okay, I sit down and it's like, okay, uh, these thoughts are, are bothering me. Okay, no more thoughts. You know, I'll, I'm too, I'll, I'll just stop thinking now. And, and that doesn't work either, right? That's, we've tried that. So you kind of, you've reached this point where it's like, well, what do we do, right? And, and uh, meditation provides an answer there, but why and how? I mean, we can talk for the next we can easily talk for the next hour about why and how i think we're born and, uh, <laughs> there's a, this kind of um like this allegory in in a sense that we're born in a sense of present momentness and bliss and joy as children and play and then we kind of get conditioned by society we become adults you know all this but that the point of the spiritual journey in a sense which meditation can be a part of is to come back to that kind of present momentness and beingness and being centered in the body and focused on the uh, what's actually occurring with all of the mature wisdom that comes from uh, being able to have uh, self-control and discipline over oneself and not you know be purely spontaneous uh, in a way that might not be appropriate in certain circumstances for example because we are at the end of the day we are still animals and we have um, all sorts of impulses that we've decided as a society that these are better not to fulfill these impulses. And I think for a very good reason, but this process of uh, becoming uh, culturated into society has kind of left our minds in um, uh, haywire because, you know, no one really explained to us, well, how do you just focus on the present moment and just like experience your life? And how do you become, how do you relax yourself when you're feeling stressed? Um, it's kind of just go, 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 go. And, you know, it, just because we're not aware of our internal stress doesn't mean it's not happening. And meditation allows you to be aware of it. It's, it's interesting that when, when uh, you first start meditating or getting into mindfulness, things like yoga, you start realizing actually how hard it is and how crowded the mind is with all sorts of fleeting thoughts and images and thoughts of the future. Like you'll be sitting in meditation. You'll be thinking about like a sandwich that you want to eat later. And you'll, you'll be just like flabbergasted that that's even possible, but that's the nature of the mind. That's just the way it, it functions. It's questionable whether that is the way that the human mind truly is. Like if we were born in a, in like nature in a more like tribal society that was more rooted in nature, would we still have all these issues? I think partly not, but I think partly it is part of the human condition, uh, that we are self-reflective, uh, animals, uh, that we do not have the, the innocence and the present momentness that it seems that most animals have where they're just there. They don't, you know, have, they don't have guilt. They don't have shame about their lives. They don't have all these uh, neuroses uh, unless they live with humans for too long. And then they start developing them, <laughs> which is actually a funny phenomenon. Yeah, you hear about yeah. that, right? Like like dogs taking on the characteristics of their owners and stuff. <clears throat> right. It's interesting. <laughs> um, so I've got this quote here that I think might be... A- a good kind of jumping point. I think really we can jump from anywhere to talk about meditation and um, probably even just giving, you know, some methods that have been useful for us could be helpful for people if they'd like to, you know, try meditation. And and there's so many different, there's so many different ways to do it. That's a really um, key point Um, that there's really, you know, we say meditation, but there is a lot of different techniques of meditation. There's like walking oh, meditation. And it's thrown around, There's man. 
uh, like more heart, emotional meditations and contemplation, which is more like prayer. There's like breath awareness. There's just observing the thoughts of the mind and they're all considered meditation. What's important there, I think, is that every person has like a certain flavor of ice cream that they like. We, we talk about this a lot that, mm, you know, chocolate. Yeah. Vanilla. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, think- and there's like a certain way of mindfulness that um, that resonates with us that is uh, that we're naturally inclined to and that has benefits. So some people, they just sit down and they just can't meditate. Their mind is too haywire and they give up the whole mind. They give it all up, whereas that person might be better suited to maybe um, more prayerful. They might be more suited to visualization meditations. They might be more suited to something like martial arts or some kind of active thing like yoga Mm. or Mm. Tai Chi or something that you're moving around. Um, And I think that's really the beauty of mindfulness and meditation is there's so many different ways to do it because all we're trying to do is be aware of what is actually happening. And there's so many ways to do that. You can listen to yeah, music and be yeah. aware of the music. You can um, be doing yoga and like, feel your body and the postures. And they all bring the mind to peace because they bring you into the present moment. And the present moment doesn't have any problems. Like problems are conceptually created um, by uh, the mind, you know, seeking problems and creating solutions and that kind of thing. Mm, this is good. Yeah. So I think it would be good for us to kind of talk about this a little bit that, um, Problems are all self-created, right? So we perceive only ever. We is there ever anything that you have perceived that is not your mind? (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever ever perceived anything other than you know? It 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 comes through the filter of perception. And, and this is what cognitive behavioral therapy talks mm-hmm. about, you know, on page one, if you pick up, pick up one of these books, it's a very effective method of uh, psychology based on stoicism. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, you know, both of these are, are fantastic ways to go about um, exploring, you know, <clears throat> what's really going on and thinking. And what CBT basically says is that, hey, we've got these thoughts that are um, that are shaping our world. And, and most of them are habits that we didn't choose. And, they, and shape, so, they shape our actions and our actions also shape our thoughts. We talk about this often, but I, I'm sure you've had this experience where you're just like in a incredible funk and you're just nothing's going right and you're just having a terrible day and then you go for a run or you go to the gym and you just feel amazing and you're like wow i don't have any problems where were like were they real and it's like they're real in the sense that our physiology and our body corresponds to our mind and in fact it's not even separated to begin with so if you're if your body uh is not in a good state your mind has difficulty being in a good state um and that's an interesting point is that you asked the question of are all problems self-created? Uh, and that's kind of debatable because I think there some problems are not self-created. I think some problems are situational. Some problems are environmental. Like if you have, you know, terrible living conditions, uh, you have a lot of stress at work. There's not that much like it is being caused to you and your body is attempting to adapt and it's not adapting successfully. And that's where all the kind of 
unease and everything comes from. That's not to say, though, that there isn't a solution in uh, something like meditation where you can take that stress and you can uh, at will release it and calm yourself and and come into it with a calm mind so that it doesn't um, unhinge you as much. Yeah. Um, this reminds me of the point that is brought up of um, it, it, it's it's the next logical step of this um, conversation as well. So like if all problems are self-created, what happens if you're being tortured, mm. right? And, and so this really, it begs the question, well, what, what do I call a problem? Right. Mm. Um, so uh, the stuff gets mixed up where, you know, um, for example, you know, we see that there are some people who are very impoverished who are extremely mm. happy. Now, of course, that's not, of course, that's not always the case, but the example stands just to show that um, your external circumstances the situation don't necessarily dictate. It does not necessarily correlate. Yeah, yeah. And now, again, this doesn't mean that you should walk up to, you know, every impoverished person, and and you know, there there's no need for an arrogance to try and make a person, you know, you say, like, oh, you're not good enough because you're not happy no matter what. It's like, it's it's more kind of pointing to something where, um, to accept that there is a problem with something to, to put ourselves at odds with something that is right. Like if I am impoverished, that is right. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't mean that I don't try to change it, but the moment that, um, there's a mental wall to the situation that is right. I mean, if I can change it, then I just change it and then it no longer is. But if there is something that is happening and, and there's resistance, I mean, you know, you have to get pretty stoic to start talking about like looking like literal torture in the eye and saying, you know, bring it on. Yeah. And that's what, that's what these guys so do. If you on, pick up one of these the books topic of uh, torture, which is obviously an example of, you know, the, the most extreme pain that you can feel. Um, there are meditators and yogi who have demonstrated that they can actually, go into surgery, like not under anesthesia and something that should be incredibly <laughs> painful and they feel nothing. Yeah. So that seems to point to the fact wow. that at a very high level of practice, wow. you can overcome your external circumstances regardless of what they are. But I think that that must take for a very long time because I, I don't know about you, but I've never been able to meditate away like pain. <laughs> Well, you know, <clears throat> I, I don't know if it's that they aren't feeling it, although uh, it's possible that they are detaching from the body. I've heard that uh, <laughs> when I say I heard, I mean, uh, you know, and I think in autobiography of a yogi, mm -hmm. he was talking about that there are like you can attain deep, deep states of essentially trance and, and you know, totally disidentifying with the body, totally detaching to the point that you're not even conscious of it anymore. And pain, you know, like their hearts slow down to like almost, you know, not beating. Um, now I don't even think that that's totally necessary, at least in the sense of the type of freedom that I am talking mm. about, because I'm talking about mental suffering, mm. right? I'm talking about, um, the egoic suffering. Um, so, I mean, it's not that that isn't worth uh, bringing up in a conversation about meditation, though. I mean, you know, there, there's all kinds of interesting things to kind of dig into here. Uh, 
I, I think a key <laughs> a key point to make um, and something that is not exactly um, indicated in all of the traditions of uh, spirituality, especially in the new age tradition, the, the kind of uh, skim past this point. But uh, the fact that meditation is not about meditating away your negative emotions. It's actually about experiencing them fully and inquiring into where they come from. That's what it, mindfulness uh, is about from what I've read and, and to me. I don't know if you've had this experience, but it is the strangest thing. If you are in an incredibly uh, tumultuous emotional experience, uh, everyone feels emotions differently. Some people feel them in their heart. Some people feel them in their gut. But you have like a physiological feeling of an emotion. If you... Uh, sit down into meditation as hard as it is in that moment. In fact, it's the most difficult at that moment um, and bring awareness to that. And instead of trying to resist the sensation of um, maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's like anger, maybe you feel, you know, sadness or depression, or you feel some kind of heaviness to feel where that is in your body and to feel that emotion and not to name it anything and not to, you know, assume that one understands what it is and when you bring that attention to it in some cases it can completely transform it so um this is what alchemy is about from a more metaphorical standpoint so alchemy is about turning lead into gold well what does that mean in terms of uh the psyche mentality and the spirit which alchemy was very focused on it wasn't just about the physical world and doing uh you know, transmutations of elements and things like that. It was about transmuting the kind of rough, uh, lead-like emotions of the human mind uh, into the gold that they can be. So to be aware and um, observe and inquire into these feelings that we give names to and see really what that, like, psychic energy really is. And when one puts that attention on it, it's... I've had experiences where I went from you know, having deep sense of like anxiety in my heart, sitting down, meditating on it, and it turning into like tearful bliss. Like mm -hmm. that is, psychology doesn't even speak about that unless you kind of approach yeah. it from like a union yeah. perspective. But these are what all these yogis and uh, uh, famous Buddhist meditators and the like were talking about. They were talking about transforming human emotions and transforming human experience. Um yeah, being free Acceptance. of the suffering. And it's interesting that there's two pains. There's the actual pain you feel and there's the pain you feel about the pain. And the pain you feel about the pain, that's the one that really gets you. The actual pain itself is not, it's just a, it's just an experience. Some people even uh, like it. I mean, if you're lifting heavy weights and you feel the pain, like you feel it as good. But it's because we have this idea in our mind that this is a good kind of pain. But that's just because we view it that way. It's not any different than another kind of pain. But it doesn't cause you distress. It doesn't cause you trauma. I will uh, read an excerpt from a book that I love, if yes, you don't please. mind. <clears throat> One of the essential requirements for true spiritual growth and deep personal transformation is coming to peace with pain. No expansion or evolution can take place without change. And periods of change are not always comfortable. Change involves challenging, 
what is familiar to us and daring to question our traditional needs for safety, comfort, and control. This is perceived as a painful experience. I could, I could, this, this whole chapter of this book, it's called the untethered soul is so spot on. I, I think, what do you think it's uh, pointing at? So just earlier I was sitting on my bed and, um, experiencing exactly what you described. Um, the <laughs> let me start to <laughs> recognize the all of the noise right all of the 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 all all of the thoughts all of the fear right and and, and we we talked about fear and and um the ego has its roots in mm-hmm. fear right now if you kind of notice that you know you say okay i accept i accept the pain i accept the pain bring it you know it's okay i accept i let go i don't i can't control the pain what what does resisting pain do it just brings more pain what does resisting fear do it just brings more fear right because you're and so resisting a process that you did not start so you can't stop it either right it's just happening. That's that's the the amazing thing about things like a panic attack or something mm. is that they spiral because of the resistance to it and because of the fear of it. And you don't have that fear of it until it happens to you. And um, it can leave the mind in a very fragile state, actually, for quite some time afterwards. And I've actually... I've talked to people and it's, it's incredibly sad to be honest. It's someone who really experiences panic attacks on a regular basis. I've, you know, really only had maybe one or two in my whole life. So I consider myself very lucky, but I know some people, some, uh, patients that I was uh, working with under, uh, under a doctor at my clinic, uh, at school that have them like nine times a day. Can you imagine like the amount of anguish and terror that is? That's, you know, they say there's a fate worse than death. And I think that that's what it is. It's living on earth in such um, mental torment that it leads people to suicide. Actually, they would rather just not live than be in that state. And it's amazing that the mind can even go that far. They say that some that suffering is the fire with which the ego burns itself out, and that you can uh, that suffering can exponentially get worse. There's no ceiling to it. Hmm. Uh, that it, you can <laughs> spiral and spiral and spiral and spiral, and I think that's hmm. part of the reason uh, for meditation. It it makes your it gives you a center in your own minds. It gives you a center of peace. And if you have that center of peace, you know, the, the raging emotions and sadness and grief and these, you can feel these emotions without them consuming you. You can be at peace in the heart of the storm. And that's, I think what mindfulness is about. It's not about negating your feelings. No, emotions are beautiful and 
they're part of our human experience. It's about being calm despite their effects because they do have a purpose for us. They're not to avoid pain, for example, or to ignore it is ignoring your own body because your body's basically communicating to you through pain. You know, you have pain in your leg. You don't walk on that leg, but there's emotional pain too. But the question is, where does that come from? Um, and is it good to avoid the pain? Because if you avoid it, can you ever find out where it came from? And can you, you know, put the bandage on and do something to make it heal metaphorically speaking? So there's a, there's a distinction here. Um, so when we were talking about like the purposes of meditation, uh, last night we were having, we got pretty deep into the conversation. I feel like there's, there's a few different ways to approach meditation, depending on where you're coming from. Um, you were bringing up the point that meditation is basically for something like spiritual enlightenment. It's for some kind of, um, state of no mind. It's for some kind of greater experience of life. Uh, it's for seeking truth. It's for finding the truth of life. Uh, and it is. Uh, it's also kind of, uh, Alan Watts says this, that meditation is not the cure. Meditation is medicine. Mm-hmm. That it's something that you use so that you can you be behind. better. Like, So you, you meditate, you learn the way your mind functions so that you can actually perceive what the issue is. And, but you have to perceive it. Meditation doesn't do it for you. It almost trains your mind to be primed for experience. And that's actually the interesting thing with meditation is when you regularly meditate, a lot of times you don't have these so-called mystical experiences when you're actually meditating. You have them, hmm. you know, the day of or a couple hours after when you're just, you know, making a cup of coffee or you're just walking down the street yeah. with like a certain calmness in your mind and you you suddenly perceive something that's magnificent you feel like this deep peace come over you and the meditation it put you in a place that you can experience these lessons and these events in life that are always happening to us but that we don't actually see because we're trapped in our minds we're disconnected from our bodies we're rushing around you know we're living in the future and then dying (laughs) <laughs> that's basically, I mean, that's, <laughs> it's, it's terrible. It's that, that is the default mode network of human life in this society. Um, you live in the future, you live in the past and then you die. And it's so interesting what people say on their deathbeds, uh, what they regret most. And it's unanimous people on their deathbeds regret not spending time with loved ones they regret not going for more walks. They regret not, you know, listening to more music. They regret not being more at peace with, you know, their friends and family. They don't regret that they didn't get the raise. They don't regret that they lost their job. That, that does, actually doesn't matter at the last final moments. Uh, and that's right. meditation in a sense, as uh, was once famously said about philosophy, is the art of learning how to die before you die. To live as if you are already, because our that's the whole fundamental teaching of Buddhism. Who is it that dies? This is this is, it's I think ego death. Yeah, exactly. Brings about full living, mm. spontaneous living. Right, and if you're it's, actually physically dying when you're having the ego death. That I can't imagine probably a worse experience because the uh, so for 
people who might not know what like ego death is, it's a very strong term, but what it, what it is in a sense, it's when the boundaries of you feeling as if you're like one certain identity kind of dissolve a little bit and you have a kind of different experience. Um, it's often induced by psychedelics, entheogens and things like that. They can, um, pretty, um, consistently reproduce those experiences. And that's actually where a lot of the terror and the so-called bad trips come from is people experience this ego death or this dissolution of sense of self, their sense of security is lost and they try to resist it with all their might, but you can't resist it, um, because it's a mental process. And also you're under the influence of a chemical that can't be undone. <laughs> so the resistance is oh, what yeah. brings you into the terribleness of the uh, experience. And they always say, you know, surrender to it. And that's exactly what you do in the face of terror. You surrender to it. And that's the way out. That's the way out of like a panic attack, for example, is to surrender to the reality of it. To, to think about this, it's, it's, as you said, this ego death can come from psychedelics and I think it can also happen from meditation. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really what we were just talking about with the importance of not fighting the negative or so-called negative, right? Because again, uh, by saying, oh, this is negative, it's like, you, you know, you're denying yourself something. You're, you're trying to you know, it's creating this separation, creating this resistance, that sort of thing. And, and these ideas come up in us, man. I, I know this feeling where there's a fear and then there's like, uh, like, ah, oh, like I'm, I'm fearing again. Like, ah, oh, oh no, oh, I'm doing it again. Oh, what's the matter? Why am I so bothered by this? How, how do I, what do I need to do to fix it? And it's like, that becomes way more of an issue than the original thing, right? And so there, there's these layers that kind of need to get peeled back as we're looking at this. And you know, I think, uh, the ego isn't necessarily one. So I liked how you said, like, it's, it's, um, there, there are like these portions of our ego, at least, you know, so to speak. I mean, obviously what is the ego ultimately in, in we truth, talk about uh, ourselves ego? being one person, but there's a very easy way to dispel the truth of that from a psychic standpoint is <laughs> like yeah. tomorrow, Jake, like starting tomorrow, go to the gym for two hours every day for a year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. There's going to be like we, three we versions of Jake that are like absolutely not. There's going to be one version yeah, of Jake that forgets. There's going to be one version of Jake who resists it. There's going to be one version of Jake who really tries but fails. And there might be one version of Jake that uh, comes through and actually does it. And then that's amazing. So like yeah. we are a conglomerate of different ideas. I, I like this. It's beliefs, man. It's beliefs and the ideas. Which which idea holds more which which do we put more power into there there's, there's something great example you gave one time that it's uh one can think of their own mind as like a senate or something and every idea oh, yeah, like yeah. plays off the other and there's you know this jake who loves truth that wants to do this and there's this jake who is avoiding pain who wants to do this and they have to have a genuine discussion and that's what our thoughts are is like what should i do it's an internal dialogue between these different elements of your own psyche, which is pretty incredible that we're so complex that we're not even, we're not singular beings. I think that's actually part of the reason for meditation at its heart is to become in, integrated in some sense, whether that's going no minds or by dropping the whole thing or it's, I mean, it, it's a great mystery, man. 
Yeah, yeah. I, it's perfectly, I mean, this is the kind of, this is the problem right here. It's, it's, the ego is not singular and how can it be? The feeling of self is singular, I think, in some sense. Like, the thing that continues, you go to sleep at night, you feel like you are this person, you wake up and you the first thing you think is, oh, I'm this person. That feeling remains <laughs> constant throughout the present moment. The thoughts change, the ideas change, the physical appearance changes, but this feeling that there's some kind of continuous nature to my life, like that the Bogdan who was 24 and the Bogdan who was 22 is also me. That's what the ego is. That's the identity. The the Jake who was 20 and the Bogdan who are 20 only exist as memories, actually. They don't exist anywhere else. But But the interesting thing is that we often fall into the trap of believing we are our past. As if, like, we still are our past. When, as you point out, about the is the ego singular we're just experiencing this uh flow of time as a as a being in the in the present moment who can redefine themselves at any moment and completely change everything up but because we have an identity we there's some kind of like habitual pattern that continues through time and that can either be our salvation or like the great curse i think I would like to uh, to read the Heart Sutra. This um, it's held to be the gem of Buddhism, a, a very short scripture. Um, Thank you, man. Yeah, very soon. enigmatic. Okay. The Bodhisattva of compassion, when he meditated deeply, saw the emptiness of all five skandhas and sundered the bonds that caused him suffering. Here, then. Form is no other than emptiness. Emptiness no other than form. Form is only emptiness. Emptiness only form. Feeling, thought, and choice, consciousness itself, are the same as this. All things are by nature void. They are not born or destroyed, nor are they stained or pure, nor do they wax or wane. So in emptiness, no form, no feeling, thought, or choice, nor is there consciousness, no eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind, no color, sound, smell, taste, touch, or what the mind takes hold of, not even the act of sensing. No ignorance or end of it, nor all that comes of ignorance. No withering, no death, no end of them. Nor is there pain or cause of pain, or cease in pain, or noble path to lead from pain. Not even wisdom to attain. Attainment too is emptiness. So know that the Bodhisattva holding to nothing whatever, but dwelling in Prajna wisdom, is freed from delusive hindrance, rid of the fear bred by it, and reaches clearest nirvana. All Buddhas of past and present, Buddhas of future time, using this prajna wisdom, come to full and perfect vision. Here then the great Dharani, the radiant peerless mantra, the prajna paramita, whose words allay all pain, hear and believe its truth. Gate, gate, paragate, parasamgate, bodhisattva. So subtle, man. The... It speaks of no minds, as they call it. It speaks oh, of that state like of not... Hmm. Of just purely experiencing life. It, it, it seems to be a path, a spiritual path, through negation. 
So basically, mm. negate all that is untrue, negate all that is unreal, and see what is real. Mm. See what remains. Mm-hmm. It's not created. It's just there. The essential nature. Oh, oh, I love this. This this just sparked something in me. Very nice. The, no, no creating, right? Nothing to be added. Mm. Um, the mind is creating mm. always, right? Um, but there's this implication in in the mind very often people come and say they you know how to show me the way you know i'm looking for truth and it's like well you're already implying that you don't have it right like what are you looking for right if you're looking for god like right that's where where do you find this other than truth could be found in words could hearing it bring it to you it's like if you're, um, you know, you're starving and somebody talks to you about ham sandwiches, does that like s- mm. cease your hunger? I mean, no, no. that's pretty much with everything <laughs> language based is that, like that it does, it, tra- it points to something, it transmits Music an image, it. but it does not actually give you an experience usually. Uh, we were talking about this yeah. before where language is evocative. So there's this kind of interesting aspect to all of the spiritual teachings which is that if you haven't had the experience, you can't actually even understand them. So why even read them? Well, mm-hmm. maybe if you have had an experience or had a some kind of experience of a, a feeling of depth, the teaching reminds you of it. So when I was reading the Heart Sutra, this, it's so enigmatic. Form is no other than emptiness. Emptiness no other than form. That just makes my mind like dissolve. It just I my mind goes completely blank when I read that. Mm-hmm. It, that that phrase from like a linguistic point of view doesn't mean anything, but it does also when you read it, it just negates like all ideas of that, that our idea of things existing and not existing of no mind and mind of righteousness and evil, that all of these are just. Can you feel it when you, Mm. when you, listen you know the sound it's being transmitted through a speaker vibrating the air coming into the eardrums <sighs> infinite complexity is happening all at once without any of your say it's amazing that we and can even understand each other to begin with through language <laughs> yeah that that's already like some kind of miracle But we get caught up in language as we were speaking about that, like, let it all go, man. Mm. Yeah. Let it all go. Yeah. We get caught. Yeah. But who gets caught? Who gets caught? It's just another idea. Man. <laughs> it's just another idea. It is another idea. It's, 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 it, it goes on, man. We, we seek stability in ideas and mm. it's just, we'll, we'll, we'll go in circles for the rest of our lives. If, if that's where the stability right. comes from. That's, that's, I think that's why the sutra is just pointing to the unspoken experience of whatever this is. Because even when you say something like language traps you, if you believe that, that's also trapping you, (laughs) right? Because like, then you believe in that idea that, you know, this or that is the way away from enlightenment. It's actually interesting in a lot of Buddhist works, they make a really big point of um, seeing beyond things that we see as bad and seeing seeing beyond things as good and bad. 
seeing things mm-hmm. as they are without without identifying with our labels. Not even not labeling, because the labeling process of the mind, the identification process of the minds, the judgment process of the mind, they occur spontaneously. But when we identify and think we are the one who thinks this, then it has an immense mm-hmm. strength over us. Whereas in um, when one's meditating and feels uh, their emotions or what we call them or what we call thoughts, they always describe them in the, in the scriptures as like clouds in the sky. Like, are you moving the clouds? Where do they come from? They just go through the sky. They're just um, a phenomenon of na- a nature that we're in the most interesting position to be able to experience even as like being ourselves, but also separated from ourselves. So an example of that is, you know, thoughts occur to us all the time and we act on certain ones and then we act against other ones. So like all thoughts aren't us, like all, everything you think isn't actually you. In fact, as you bring up quite, quite well, even the idea of you is a thought that is just a phenomenon passing in consciousness which is so what am i right what am i well that's uh who are you they say is the the ultimate inquiry it is mm. probably the only question that you need who am i really am i who what is the the true reality of me right all of the ideas they're so flimsy man we we look at them and and you know we break them down. I mean, some of them are really easy to see how flimsy they are, right? Like, oh, my name is Jake and I'm from this and I'm from, it's like, yeah, well, what, what does that mean? Right? Like, oh, you're from this country. Like, what is that? Right. Right. It's like, oh, you do this job. Like, like it's like, how, how deeply does that define you? Right. Like how far does that, how shallow is that? And it's like a lot of people recognize this. Right. But, but okay. But now who am I? If I'm not, okay, I'm not my job. I'm not my nationality. I'm not my name, whatever. Okay. Now I've got, you know, there's these feelings that are coming up. I've got these, you know, these, these thoughts. And a lot of them, a lot of times it's, oh, I am not my ego. And, uh, oh, I'm, I've got this fear and, uh, I need to get rid of that. Right. This starts to happen a lot. Right. So, but am, am I that right? Like who, who, who am I? Who, what is the, the, the reality of it? Right. Because we talk about this a lot. The, we only live in the present, right? I mean, the the future and the past are concepts, they're ideas, right? So, okay, in the present then, who am I? Like, who, how, how can we not live in the present? This is something that I ask all the time, and I know that now I'm jumping again, and we could talk about this stuff a lot, but, you know, it's there's this concept thrown around. It's the question of identification with the past or future. So... Even okay, if you think okay. of the, if you're thinking of the future now, like you're having the thought in the now, present, you're just right? not yeah. in the present in terms of what's actually happening. You're in a conceptual present. You're in a conceptual time, <laughs> but it's still mm, happening. Mm. I mean, can you have a future thought in the future now? That I mean, that doesn't even make any sense. No, no, of course. Every of course, experience right. we have is, is in the, the present yeah. moment. So, I mean. So why is it said yeah. like, why is it said? Like, I, I think there's a, a real um, key here, and and I don't I don't know if we'll get out an answer. You know, we we jump around a lot, 
and and I think that's okay. You know, we're there's there's so many ideas that bounce around about meditation. And I think that we're kind of just just kind of like putting them all on the table right now. And like maybe you know it would take us six hours to sift through and be like, okay, let's pick at these ones and and take another six hours and figure out which ones you know we really want to dig into. That's that's a that's a good point to be made because not all ideas are useful which point the point that there's many different views some ideas are so for example one can look at the whole spiritual path from a pragmatic sense which kinds of beliefs lead to a good experience of life Because it's hard to say if we can ever objectively know the truth of, of life or our own experience. But we can understand that certain ways of, of experiencing ourselves lead to us being more at peace. Like if one... And words can take us there. ...is constantly identifying with negative thought streams that are occurring and thinks that they are all those things that are said that are negative... That's the world that one lives in, in the present. Yeah, identification is big, man. Identification. You know, there's an interesting thing about video games that I was thinking about. When somebody... I've never played a video game. (laughs) What makes you bring that up? I can't relate to that. I'm sure many of our (laughs) listeners have, and we certainly have together. Um, Mm. When you when you play a video game and you have like an avatar or character, you speak about it as if it's yourself. Mm-hmm. Like um, when you're playing Call of Duty or something and somebody shoots your character, you don't say, oh, somebody shot my character. You say, oh, somebody <laughs> yeah. shot me. I died. The process yeah, of identification is so deeply rooted in the psyche that it happens spontaneously that – and we identify with, you know, what else, man, that is right alongside the the, the, so the, the experience of the body. I mean, it is also an yeah, avatar in yeah. some kind of sense. And the, and the funny, so, and even less esoteric, although no less correct, you are, you are right, is like uh, our clothes, our, like the, these things that are even farther away from us than mm-hmm. the yeah. body, so to <laughs> yeah, speak. That's true. We, the clothes, the, the job, the, um, the house. Dude, you know, marketing, all marketing is doing is selling identity. Mm. It's saying you, you need this. You will be better. You, you know, who do you want to be? Do you want to be someone that uses this? Right. And, and, you know, that's why. Well, it's, it's playing, it's playing on association, which is, which is what literature does actually. Because the way it it seems to work, the way the mind seems to work from a psychological standpoint is when something is experienced, everything that's associated with it is also experienced. So when they show you the commercial of the, the Coke, it's not, you know, just the person drinking Coke and liking it. It's the person drinking Coke with their girlfriend, having a good time. So to the minds, what one sees is not the Coke. One sees, Oh, the love that I want. And it, it's subconscious, and then one wants to get that that Coca Cola because they feel like from some subconscious point they might not even be aware of it that you know if they drink this they might have that, and that's like some deep kind of black magic to be honest. 
manipulating <laughs> people's minds. And that's why Bill Hicks, you know, yeah. he has that famous saying about what marketers should do. <laughs> I'll let you guys look into it. If you guys like Bill Hicks, it's a little bit dark, so we won't get into it on this family friendly podcast. <laughs> yeah. I think I've already messed up the family friendly. It's all good. It could, it could be. be edited out. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, it's um, interesting that curse words are bad because it's all about intention, isn't it? It's like, if you're trying to insult someone, if you just say it, like how can a word inherently be bad? That's a question for our times. How can a word inherently (laughs) be bad when it's not in reference to anything? Right? (laughs) If you just drop the F bomb, it means nothing. But if you tell somebody to, you know, F bomb themselves, then now that's different. And also it's funny that you've just, you've just created another, like another, uh, uh, another like layer that has obscured it from yes. like you say so f-bomb this, and it just points at the word that we all that's know like he'll, he'll drop like a certain um like uh like bad word uh like a different way of saying it and then you'd be like i made you say it in your mind <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when i say f-bomb you know exactly what i mean so you're saying it so you actually you're cursing by listening you're to me cursing, yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, language is a funny mm. thing. <laughs> so, would you would you care to tell me about uh, earlier on? You referenced a beautiful uh, meditative experience, or, or you said you know there was some transcendental experience that uh, that you felt maybe not during meditation, but uh, would would you care to tell me? I'd love to hear. You know, sure, yeah, to, absolutely. Uh, I think uh, something that's super super important is like there really are these powerful moments that are so personal. And I think, I think everybody experiences them, but they just don't have yeah. words to it. They don't have people to talk about it. Um, they might think, yeah, man, I want to open they're that crazy. up. Cause they're very different than what we typically experience in like ordinary mundane consciousness. Yeah. So let's just lay it out there. I know that we're crazy. <laughs> and, and so with that, with that said, Carl, you Jung once famously said, Show me a sane man and I'll cure him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. Oh, that's freaking awesome, man. That's Um, basically what a lot of psychiatry is, unfortunately. Oh, Um, oh, dude. Oh, dude. Man, we could could really take this to many different places. So let me tell you of the the beautiful experience. Um, I'm listening. So I've, I've certainly had a few, but this is one of the most pivotal ones that I've had. It happens in high school. Um, so I was in this great teacher's class. Uh, it was an English class. And that class was always about seeking truth and beauty. And it was kind of like a philosophy class, actually. Um, always got the mind sparked. Always made me kind of interested in like, you know. What... I didn't have any classes like that in high school. What kind, What class was it? Was it was like um, humanities, I think it was called. And okay. the the teacher was very insightful. He was clearly a very. It's all about the teacher. Man. Absolutely. You could teach. You could teach humanities. And oh just yeah. Like, it could be the most. You dull could you could teach mathematics beautiful. and like you can make people feel peace. Like depending on who you are as a person. <laughs> um, awesome. Yeah. So it was this class. I was meditating in the class and everything. Um, as I was walking out of the class. Previously, before all this. We were standing around in a circle for some reason. I would always like stay after class and just talk to the teacher and we would just talk about, 
you know, life and what we think and, you know, our experiences and just get really deep. And one of these times where I stayed after class, a bunch of other students were like standing around. We were all standing in a circle and we were talking about life. We were talking about like life and birth and death and what's the purpose of life um, and all these uh, kinds of things. And anyway, so long story short, some kind of combination of meditating and then talking about deep topics. I was walking outside of the classroom and I had a very strange sensation in my feet. It felt, mm. it felt like the ground was, it felt like I was walking in a trampoline. The ground was kind of pushing in and it was kind of pushing up and I was just walking and I was like, Hmm, that's very peculiar. <laughs> that's very peculiar. Yeah. I just kept walking. As I kept walking, the experience kept getting deeper. By the time I was like outside of the school and it's very it's very hard to describe it in words, but the way I would describe it is walking was happening. I was not walking. I was not like walking. I was observing walking happening. I was observing the body moving itself and I was looking, I looked up at the trees that were in, in my line of view and they were glowing golden radiance, like in slow motion, um, uh, like swaying in the wind. And I just felt this deep, deep love and, and peace and bliss and basically an ecstatic experience. I'm just walking, you know, down the road and you know, it's, it was, it's beautiful, man. You know, and I didn't, it sounds so amazing. I wasn't under the influence of anything. It, it's like the mind, it's like Mm. the veil opens for like a few minutes in human time. I saw maybe what all of the mystical teachings are talking about, what they are trying to refer to as the mystical experience. The interesting thing. There's no going back after that, man. And you couldn't, you didn't make that happen. Exactly. I had no, I I had no idea. (laughs) It just occurs. Hmm. Um, But I think you can, I think through talking on topics, reading, using all our methods, artwork and music and meditating and being involved and embodied, you increase the likelihood of these experiences occurring to you. So, I mean, the point of the spiritual path is not to have these experiences, but you do have them along the way. Yeah. And, and again, they show you like, that like something is happening. That's something, something different is happening to you. Yeah. And you know, I've, I've had I think this. a lot of people, I think most people, I'd be surprised if every person hasn't had at least one or two experiences. Maybe they didn't see any kind of different visuals, but they just felt a dr- tremendous sense of peace or love that seemed to come from nowhere. Maybe they were talking to their loved one and they just like felt so much love that they forgot that they were there. Like, I think everybody's had that experience at least one or two times. And I think it's a great disservice to, uh, to human life to not share about these experiences that happen, um, to all of us when maybe we're driving a car, maybe we were walking down the street, maybe we were, you know, we were in the flow state. We were playing a sport and we just were so in it that we forgot that we were there and we were just doing things. 
That's what martial arts is yeah. all about. It's about being so present that you forget yourself. You're just there. You're the reaction occurs. Uh, you don't mm. do the thing. The thing occurs. Mm. That's, that's, <laughs> the thing does. That's you. the fastest reaction speed. Is not thinking about the reaction. It just happens, mm. and you train yourself to get there. And I think that that's what meditation is. It's training for that spontaneous reaction to life and spontaneous presence to life. It's very difficult when you're kind of trapped in your mind and you're not in you're not feeling yourself as embodied in your body and understanding that um I think there's many layers to this, you know. There's many layers to identification. There's you can identify, you know, with your car, work, all these things. They're kind of more exterior. You can um identify with your persona, your personality, your memories. That's a little bit closer. You can identify with your body. Um and that's what that's usually where most things stop is like we are our, actually our body. But the question is, is that only an identification? Is that only um, an experience of reality and a, a certain kind of perception of being, you know, in a body and moving the body and having free will? Is that just a perception or is it actually what is happening? It's a good question, man. I would I would say. <clears throat> We have to look to find out. Mm. <laughs> How does one look with no eyes? <laughs> Another good question. That's an interesting thing too, because we also identify with our sense perceptions. But all of these Buddhist teachings, they say, Withdraw your attention from the external senses and bring your attention to the internal senses. Hmm. I think it, it means to be aware of your own internal experience. Like it's only internal insofar as it's not like outside in our environment, even though that's not probably even true because what we're seeing is actually a reflection of our own internal psyche. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to draw a boundary, right, between external and, and internal. But internal in the sense as you're having an experience, but your eyes are closed. You're witnessing something that's not going out, obviously, through your senses. So that's the question, right? So when one is in meditation and sees all sorts of colors, lights, and sounds, where are they coming from? Hmm. That's the internal senses. Whether that is like an actual realm that exists, I mean... <sighs> It's really I don't I don't know how it'd be possible to prove anything like that, but it certainly is an experience that we can have, uh, and the dream state is very is very like that because yeah. where where does the light come from that gives light to your dreams? Like we can't see anything in the external world without light, right? It's like charged up, brain like it's like something. But going we have on in internal the brain, light, guess, right? like we have some kind of internal perception of some kind of psychic light, mm. or else everything would be dark. Where is the light that you are experiencing right now coming from? Because the photons hit your eyes, but mm. do you experience the photon? I guess you could say yes. Like the whatever the perception, because if the like the lamp in front of me was turned off right now, it, it would be dark. I wouldn't be able to see anything. So something's happening through that lamp. It's, it's triggering. It's it's. It's triggering the the 
thing for sure. Whatever. But the experience I think is not necessarily of the thing. I see your point that yeah, you have to have an inter- yeah. Yeah. that actually makes sense from a neural um, like the metaphysical from yeah. like a neurology perspective because there's a part of your brain that just purely takes an input and there's another part of your brain that interprets input so we think of reality as existing out there but actually reality is what happens when the external world interfaces with our own interpretation of it hence why i mean here's a great example things like schizophrenia Someone who has schizophrenia can actually hear things, see people standing in front of them that another person can't see. But to them, it's as real as, you know, the light that's in front of you. Because there's an internal process that's creating the external world. And if something goes, something maybe becomes disharmonious, I'll say, because in general people who are in that experience of that mental state are in extreme anguish that could be seen as some kind of evidence that maybe something's not, not exactly right. But that's the, that's the scary thing about things like psychosis and schizophrenia is that someone who's in that experience, they can't differentiate reality from unreality. We take it for granted that, you know, the things that we see in front of us are really there. But we just take that for granted because other people agree with us. It's that old philosophical question of, you know, you, we both see the tree and we call its leaves green. We call that color green. But is it actually the same experience for both of us? Or did we just name the same experience green and we can agree on it? Do we actually see the same thing? And I would say probably not because artists can see all sorts of shades of colors that we do not perceive Musicians can hear all sorts of tones that we don't perceive without training. Meditators can experience all sorts of states of consciousness that we don't normally perceive. So, this is an interesting thing. So, talking about being the body, like, so it's like this peeling back the layers of identification and, and there's this sense of I am the body. And the body is definitely felt, but the body is made up of many, many, many things that are living and dying and functioning all seemingly without my control. Now, when I say my control, uh, this is obviously coming from, from what, from, from thoughts, right? So that's we have to be very wary about that idea as well um the idea of control is something that is difficult <laughs> to to see what's really going on there who, do i really have control right who has control right uh, and we don't this have control of like most about. processes in our body so that's the interesting sure. thing about identification sure. with the body is we from a kind of uh, materialist perspective the general assumption that you are your body, you are your brain. There's nothing else but your brain. There's nothing else but the activities of the brain. That's the more uh, scientific materialist uh, perception. But mm-hmm. we actually don't have any really say in a lot of those processes that happen, especially the unconscious, subconscious ones. The ones that you know bring up what dreams occur. The ones that behind the framework choose what words we'll say because we 
we don't real like we can only pull from so much experience. I can't just start speaking a language I don't know. There is an idea here that we touched upon earlier, mm-hmm. formlessness and form. Mm-hmm. And I think this needs to be said in a in a conversation about mindfulness mm. and, and in meditation. The awareness, right? Presence. What what is this? And is there really someone looking out from from behind those eyes? Who what is experiencing what is aware of the body? I say I I am the body because I am aware of the body. What is aware of the body? And this is where everyone the, the these there there have been so many links between these people who have so much wisdom and have inspired this <laughs> profound movements right and and it's there's this pointing and and what does it mean right what does it mean presence it seems awareness. that there's just an experience happening like anyone who's listening to this you're, you might be sitting somewhere, you might be driving a car, uh, you might be going for a walk, you might be doing something else. You're just experiencing whatever you're experiencing. To say that there is like a person, I think we get mixed up with personality, which is, we've spoken of this, personality is who we are to the world and how we portray ourselves to be part of society, to have a role. Um, and it has, it's certainly very useful. Um, Because depersonalization from a psychological standpoint is incredibly hard on a person. When they completely become depersonalized and they have no sense of identity and not in the kind of, you know, Buddhist way, but in the kind of um, mental dysfunction way, they can't function within society and life. Hmm. But what we have, and I think this is kind of the... Wait, if there's if it's not in the Buddhist way of having not being identified with any concept, any thought, any belief, then what is dysfunctioning in them? That's that's a really that's what, a really what part of the psyche there's a saying Because there must be psyche, like there's forms there, right? There's 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 psychic activity. There's a saying here that I think applies very well. And it's that the mystic swims in the same waters that the mad person drowns in. It's the only difference. For someone who is not ready or does not want that experience, it can bring great suffering. For somebody who does not want to feel like they're, they, don't, they don't have an identity in some sense, fundamentally, or feeling like they are a center that experience being brought upon you by some external factor or internal factor that you can't control could right. be terrifying. Yeah. I mean, imagine this, right? So we're walking down the street and suddenly we feel like we're not a self anymore. In, in, a, in a sense, if one hasn't had that experience before or doesn't have any understanding of what that could possibly be, one might try to resist it in whatever way that's even possible. And cause oh, it, immense it, suffering. It will. It will cause resistance. It's the same thing as, I mean, imagine, you know, I'm, I, I get fired from my job. I, I mean, immediately resistance comes up, uh, pain, suffering, and and this is just a a small shift in an external thing. But the idea, the latching on, is so strong. If everything goes <laughs> all at once, right? You take 
a, a double a double dose of, of LSD, you know, by accident or something, and and like you you lose everything all at once, and and you didn't even right like it all just gets jumbled. There's no sense to make of it, and I mean, it's 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 honestly, man, this is the reality of things. There there is no job. There is no Jake who works this job. Here's like, the question, right? So a lot of these spiritual teachings, at least the way they're interpreted, are, you know, you need to train meditate so that you kill the ego, right? Now, if fundamentally there really is no ego other than a phenomenon that we're experiencing, that's like trying to kill a shadow. Yeah, that it sounds is. like a very... It is, man. That is what it is. It's it's what we do. And I, I think that's... So we got interested in these kind of teachings a while back when we were much younger, like almost maybe near like 10 years ago, actually. And at that time, we were all about, you know, uh, killing the ego and renouncing this and renouncing possessions and re- like kind of going against the wants of the body. And now I, I, I sometimes question whether that's really the goal of it all because in a sense like we are in this life for some reason i think now at least my thoughts might change in the future how i feel but i think the mystery of life is right here i think the mystery of life is right in our life that we're living it's not in some kind of abstract mm-hmm. realm it's not in some it's not even in some kind of mystical experience that's part of life but our life is you know how we how we talk to people our life is you know how we taste our food our life is how we walk that's all our life is that could either be a very depressing thought or that could be incredibly beautiful depending on how we actually experience it because if we really experience it life is actually felt as something that really a good word to describe it is divine or mystical that even the act of having this conversation drinking tea is ecstatic it's uh, a it's a beautiful experience given that well said, we exist in this seemingly empty universe and we're just alive and aware of it and you know we're going about, about our perception. day and like you know driving and stopping at stoplights like that's a miracle that w- that's possible and yeah i don't i often say <clears throat> sorry for interrupting no i i often say <laughs> Um, we're here flying around on a planet in the middle of space <laughs> and Jake from how space. the, <laughs> the, the audacity of us to suffer in the face of that is just absurd. Like, <laughs> I think that's fundamentally the reason why we suffer. It's almost like, um, it's like you either suffer in very mundane ways or you suffer like existentially, like you suffer at the limitation of the human life. You suffer that you don't control your life. You suffer that you don't control your minds. That is worse to suffer from that than just suffering from your tooth hurts. It's way easier to just your tooth hurts than you don't know why you're here, what the purpose of your life is. You don't know what the, why you feel sad. You don't know why you can't change yourself in the ways you would like. I mean, that's incredibly sad stuff if you really dwell on it. 
And something it's terrifying, man, because like we're a creature that is aware of their own mortality. That's, that's honestly, sometimes I find that the highest teaching is remembering death. Just remembering the fact that we, at least what life is now, at least us existing as we are as Jake and Bogdan will very, very likely end. Whether there's some experience after death, I mean, that's that's an entirely different question. But what this is will certainly end. And, you know, a lot of times, and I, I do this all the time, we get caught up in all sorts of, you know, not not important things. Uh, and we forget that, you know, our time here is limited. Our time with our loved ones is limited. Our um, ability to experience things healthily is limited. Um, we have like an incredible amount of miraculous blessings and they're so present that we don't even see them. And I think that's, that's why man. perceiving the fact that you're going to die reorients your life because it changes everything. And how do I perceive that? How do is it, can it be known without having to think about it? Interesting question. Because we're, of course we're talking about the experiential. Well, I think experiencing death, non thought means living in the present moment. Yeah. Yeah. Because in the present moment, there is no death because in the present moment, there will come a moment in the future, which isn't now that you will go through a dying process, but it will still be in the present moment. That's all that we have. Just the present moment. It's not like you'll die someday. You'll die now. Mm. You'll <laughs> die. Now it'll be the exact experience that you have now, just in a different time, just in the same way that we think, you know, there's this common feeling of like uh, time moving faster you know, like a semester or something, it starts going quick and you remember like you said something to yourself like, you know, this next two weeks are just going to fly by and they always do because it's always in the present moment. It, the memory flies by, the the projection, but really all that we will experience is now and I think to have the courage to face the the present moment is facing death because the fact that we're even alive and conscious right now is partially proof that we will not, maybe not be that it, we will continue on. Like death, death doesn't, ha death doesn't happen to somebody else. Death happens to us individually. A comforting thought, though, is that every person goes through it. Every person has to go through it. There's no, it's the natural way, and there's a, there's a certain kind of beauty in it. Maybe life wouldn't have as much meaning if we live forever. But the, the issue is that we don't remember that it's not forever. Hmm. The question is, knowing that, you know, tomorrow's not guaranteed, what will we do now with our time? And I think that's, that's the ultimate question of this life is how do I, how do I live a good life now? How do I live a good experience? How do I, make the most of whatever this is, whatever making the most of means to me. Mm. Because that's all it is. It's like given to you. It's like, what do you do with it? That's the fundamental existential <laughs> question because you're just born yeah. and no one really knows like exactly what is like the ideal way to live. Everyone has an idea. 
they read it somewhere or something or someone told them. Maybe they think it's like getting a job and getting married and having kids and getting a house, which are incredibly beautiful experiences of life. Um, it's a it's a it's a big question, man. It's the question of what's you know the very cliche question of what's the meaning of life, but but cliches are often have deep truth. It's just they've been so repeated that they've become memes. They're not they don't have the potency of the actual question anymore. But that's the question. I mean, one can there's many ways one can take it. You can think that you know, there is some purpose and meaning to life. There is maybe some greater force outside of us that is directing our life, whether it's fate or God or something, determinism that decides everything that happens. And that's the purpose of life is to do those things that we're meant to do, to to do our purpose on the earth, right? And then there's the other viewpoint, which is we're kind of thrown into this sandbox and we decide what meaning we will make of life. It's your life is like art. Your life is a story that you tell through living. What kind of story will that be? Will it be a story of sadness? Will it be a story of peace? Will it be a story of, you know, something that we value? Will it be that kind of story? And that's, we decide that every moment, you know, in every choice that we, um, that we make. What's your favorite thing about Jordan Peterson Mm. or his works, his ideas? He's just very honest. Doesn't seem to be like artifice. And he gets himself in trouble doing that. Yeah. He's, (laughs) he seems to actually practice what he preaches when he talks about, you know, living the good life and all these values. You can see like when you see him in interviews and stuff, he is really trying to be a good person. He is trying to develop good character and, treat people kindly and come to the truth. He's trying to live, you know, and he's trying to share that with people. And, you know, when you hear it, so he's obviously, he's a very controversial figure because of all the political stuff that happened. But I, um, I urge anyone listening who may have some kind of notion about him to go on YouTube and watch his talks that he talks about the Bible and the kind of psychological metaphors in it. And just the way he studied in, uh, to Carl Jung and applied it to the Bible and coming to greater meaning and kind of tried to express that. I mean, it's amazing. It's somebody searching for meaning and trying to share that with others, which I think isn't that what the, kind of the purpose of life is in some sense. It's like to find meaning for yourself and share it with others. Now that meaning could be like dance or it could be like programming or it could be, you know, writing or something and you want to share it with others, right? If you just exist on the universe all alone, like, wouldn't that be pretty sad? Maybe that's how God felt, so he created people. <laughs> just like, uh, this is kind of lame, actually, just existing in a void, all, all omniscient, all present, all creating. <clears throat> hey, man, yeah, it's, it's really enjoyable listening to you uh, talk about these things, man. Uh, I, I feel 
that there's so much in you that is genuinely wanting to find meaning and share that with people. And uh, it comes right through. And I appreciate you, man, for, for, for being that and for starting this podcast and trying to share with people whatever grains of truth you've found, right? And these, these ideas, they point us to something and, and sometimes something just, it hits, right? And, and I, I, I it, really something shifts. That, I really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, no problem. Um, I, have a, I have a question for you, sir. Sure. Who is somebody that you've been very inspired by recently? And why? Oh, dude. Immediately, immediately Muji, man. It's got to be Muji. Oh, my God, dude. He's not really a person, though, so I don't know if that <laughs> in, counts for the answer. In conventional He said, if you come here, if you come here to, he said, if you come here and you are attached to me personally, I'm going to give you a lot of troubles. <laughs> but if you're attached to me impersonally, you'll be okay. Now, Mm. Oh man. Uh, uh, to yeah, to to give you a, a little bit, and and for <laughs> the the listeners there's, and and anyone. There's a point interested. to be made about inspiration here. I think it's it's really important to have have an experience of people who really inspire you, whether that's like people you read, their works, or people in your life. Because what we're seeing in somebody who inspires us is we're we're seeing our own potential. That's why we become elated when we see someone like that. We see someone so true, who's man. living in peace or someone who's maybe very successful in some certain venture or somebody who's just really a master of what they do. And we love that because we see, hey, if they can do it, we can do it maybe. Like there's it great can't be seen any, in humanity that is Can possible. you see it anywhere? Can you see it anywhere outside of yourself? Can you recognize something in someone else that is not already existing within yourself the the latent possibility i don't think so because it's like you don't even it has to be. you don't even you wouldn't, you wouldn't know even what know you're what seeing. you're seeing <laughs> why would you want it so why would you want something yeah. that someone expresses or that someone has it's all you, unless man. you value it yourself you're sitting here talking to to yourself so people and basically listening to yourself. show you yourself and people who the listeners you're listening to yourself right now mm. listener i'm i'm sorry to tell you <laughs> but it's 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 never been anyone else man it's never been me it's never been me it, it's never been your family it's never been your teacher it's always been you you've been playing a game i just i just want to say that this is definitely you. the most transcendental podcast that we've had yet <laughs> It's I all, love it, man. All it is, I love dude. it. I, I hope, um, I hope anybody listening also has like a little fuzzy feeling in their in their heart from <laughs> listening to our the insane ramblings of of two philosophers who just talk forever. <laughs> Yo, we are known to like talk in till like four or five in the morning, and then just like give up on words and just say like it's all pointless actually like why are we trying oh, to talk dude. about this and then like rinse and repeat as I was saying, and it's beautiful, man. <laughs> Like talking about it is the experience. Like we're not talking to get somewhere. We're talking because talking about this stuff is awesome because we like it. It is, it is fun, man. I mean, it's, it's really, it really is enjoyable. And so I think uh, this would be a good, good point to 
to have some final uh, words on the matter. So let's just wrap it in a burrito and eat so it, this, man. Because we got to swallow. What is this philosophy going to do for us, right, man? If we you got to be able to and, have the food if you're hungry. I don't know if we can wrap all of this up, honestly, man. Because we we spread it pretty wide across we the did. table. We you know what I mean? The universe. <laughs> we we hit a lot of topics it's true i you know um i think there there's definitely ways for us to like we can hone in on certain questions like we could probably spend this hour and a half literally digging into one specific question or quote and saying like you know what what does this mean and just just going all around it and kind of just seeing what light can be shed on that and and in another way though there's you know again it's fun to just have a conversation and just see where it takes us right like who could have ever predicted i think you know, the, the what, big what gets said big it's fine the big tie around um around mindfulness is literally what the word is is to be aware of what's happening to you in your experience in your life but when I look, like I, I it, awareness means it's so many like, different things to so many different people. So I guess find yeah, out what awareness means yeah. to you. <laughs> that's well, th- well. Hey, hey, that's it, man. Because what else is meditation other than an experiment? It's mm, saying, like it's saying, it. hey, you are that, right? You are, you are God. You are consciousness. You are the universe presence. But, but don't believe me because you believe me. You, you're not believing me. You're believing a concept, right? You, you can hold on to this concept, but that's not gonna, it's not the experience. It, it always kind of, it, it stops. That This happens to me. Has this ever happened to you, Bogdan, where something, you hear something which like really resonates mm-hmm. with you and it strikes a bell and you're like, oh, like this is it. Like, oh yeah, this makes so much sense. And, and then you like it. repeat it to yourself. Yeah, you like, you keep it with it. you like you write it down yeah you write it down you put it in your pocket and then like the next day you're saying it and you're like ah oh, like what it's not like it's not happening it's because it was never the concept it was like the concept at that exact the moment with every all the other conditions the yeah yeah it, it names it, the experience but the concept doesn't yeah or it could bring it about it can perhaps, bring memory even, of it. right it, it's it can bring can. or it can or like Again, I mean, maybe it just is stopping. Maybe mm. a concept clicks. I mean, when we're talking about meditation, like it, it just it kills the mind for a second, mm. right? Like the, the mind killer. It's so important, man. Like that's what acceptance is, man. That's what it means to 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 let go. How do you let go? Listen, listen to this one. If I say I let go, who who lets go? It's just another idea. Like I I let go of this. It's like okay like what does that mean who 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 is that like where's this static person that has now let go of something like it's still gonna come up right and this is we actually started here because i was like you know oh um what did i say i was like oh yeah i say okay i i'm i'm done you know i accept everything i i'm you know i'm ready i'm i'm ready to experience god and what happens the next moment you know there's fear oh, oh i don't know oh oh shoot i i you know i'm, I'm so hungry. like whatever it is right and it's like this voice isn't reliable. This to say I accept. The I cannot accept. There is no I to accept. What does it mean? It's pointing beyond. It's pointing beyond this this conceptual world where there is just presence and this just happens, this flowing, and eventually we just stop being in our own way, man. Mm, that's 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 the, that is it, bro. Stop being in our own way. That's the takeaway. Get out of your own way. Live your life. Mm. 
Nothing needs to happen to become what you are, but something needs to happen to stop becoming what you're Appreciate not. Appreciate the freaking strangeness <laughs> of this life for just one second a day and, oh, and just see what that's happens. That's nice. That's a good prescription. Yo, can you prescribe? Um, <laughs> I pres- I'm going to write it on the pad for, for five seconds a day. Just appreciate how strange life is and see what happens to you if you do that every day. <laughs> Dude, that's perfect. Please do that. Please do that. And that's that's where wow. we that's where we start. You know, that's the starting point. I think that for life, they say, and I, I've said this a lot to you, and I think it's it's important to say for people who are interested in Buddhism and enlightenment and all that. They say that life starts when you become enlightened. Life really starts when you become enlightened. Mm. It's not the end goal of life. It's you're fully there for your life now. You're fully there mm. for your experience. Uh. That's when you're there. That's when you're ready to actually be fully present and learn everything that you can and experience everything to its utmost. That's just the starting point. That's why the Buddha becomes enlightened and goes on a massive project of creating temples everywhere. Like, that's enigmatic. And I think that's the enigma is that life starts when you fully become aware of who you really are whoever that is and that's something we all individually have to find because it's obviously beyond you know our persona that's pretty easy to see that because our persona is partially created and it's partially from how people treat us and our own experiences and things like that which could have been different and then we would have had a different persona yeah 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 the arbitrary nature of the mind i think i wrote somewhere um, I, and I think it actually came from um, Marcus Aurelius, mm. something that he said prompted this in me, where it was like, be aware of the arbitrary nature of the preferences mm. of the mind and and in so doing, like free yourself from them, something like this, because it's like the like everybody has suffering. Dude, the, the common link of humanity is fear, I think, or at least the ego, which I, I think is based on fear. I know we didn't really get into that and I don't really expect anyone to like take my word for it or something, but the, it, you can look, I, I got that from Krishnamurti. I think, I think fear, <clears throat> what it seems but, um, that is being pointed at with the word fear is a kind of shrinking away from life, a kind of disconnection yeah. from life, a kind of uh, tensing up against life, a kind of tensing in to life and holding on to something and not flowing with it and not yeah. just accepting what is and flowing with it which yeah. is love wait that's what love what was is I, what was i what was i saying um fear is the basis meant, of ego yeah but before that i was kind of leading into something oh it's gone it's gone could, in the void my friend <laughs> yeah i could like re re-listen to this thing um <laughs> as i'm as i'm going <laughs> all right to somebody who has never meditated, what do you say about meditation and mindfulness? Oh man, you know, it's it's so, it's like, it's really personal because, you know, I brought my my niece in here today. She's six and I said, hey, let's, um, you know, she saw me actually, she asked me if I was meditating. I was, I was watching Muji and I said, well, no, uh, not, not exactly, but you know, do you want to? And she's like, yeah. So I, I sat with her and, you know, it's hard. It, it's, you have to, of course, explain things differently to a six-year-old. And, and I think what I started with was, well, you know, 
you know how we we have thoughts, right? Like what what's a thought? You know, like we we think to ourselves, we kind of talk to ourselves, or you know, we we imagine things. I said, well, these can be kind of distracting sometimes, and they kind of go all over the place, but we don't we don't really know why. And and so meditating is is really easy. You you sit and you breathe nice and deep and you pay attention to the breath and you feel it and it feels real good. And when these distractions come up, you kind of just look at them and, and they will come up, right? And and I say, and and this is this is the point and this is okay. And you see it and you say, Oh, okay there's a distraction here oh what what is that right and it's just looking at this and the funny thing is man this is the this is really the best best point because she's she's doing this and and like you know she takes a couple of breaths and she she you know gets up and walks around and she's talking and you know not sitting still but you know i'm looking at her and i'm looking in her eyes and i'm like this kid is already freaking there like she's she takes a deep breath and she makes eye contact with me and it's just like this pure gaze like and yes of course like then this innocent mind comes up and then she jumps up and she's just laughing hysterically and jumping around the room and you know and and being being so fully being yourself the the mind yeah that it when we're when we're young we really are ourselves because we have nothing else and yeah, and there is like a simple ego developed, right, but the, the there, grand but it, expression is still a, a very spontaneous. They actually say that yeah, Buddhas yeah. and enlightened people are very childlike. Yeah, and I think that that's I've seen it, man. Yeah. So so um, to to get back to your question, and I'll just actually I'll let you give the next one. What I'd say to somebody who has never meditated but is interested in it. I would say honestly don't get discouraged. Actually when the thoughts come up and it becomes difficult, you're doing exactly what the point of meditation is. When you feel when you feel your mind is very scattered and you can't stop your thoughts and you're sitting, you're doing something completely unheard of. It may be your whole life if it's your first time meditating. Just keep doing it. And eventually when you sit down, it won't be as bad. It'll be much easier to get in a peaceful state. And then one day you'll have an experience of life, of your own life without thinking about it. You'll just be there. And you'll be aware that you're there. But you won't be thinking about it. And you'll feel such bliss and happiness that you'll become addicted to meditation. <laughs> and then you'll have to drop that eventually. Because <laughs> they say about it being a meditation is like a boat that cross uh, that allows you across the river. And eventually you have to let it go as well. It's a tool. I think that's the key thing. It's a, a tool for self-discovery. It's a tool for peace. It's a tool for finding who you are, finding your meaning in life, being calm enough in the stresses of life to to live a good life. Um, and I think that we all meditate whether or not we know it. When we're just chilling, not doing anything, we're just breathing and hanging out and not thinking about anything, you're meditating. You're just not aware of it. And of course, there all you have to do is go to some bookstore and just grab out a random book and just start reading it and just get your mind blown. 
yes, uh, thank you. Thank you for, uh, for speaking, my friends. Hope you have a excellent night and you <laughs> have wonderful dreams, sir. Thank you, Bob. Thanks for having me. The next 30 minutes of the podcast are just going to be silence. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for uh, listening. You had to hear some philosophical conversations about mindfulness meditation. Um, we really got more into our own experiences of it and what we think about it. And I think that that's pretty much all you can do is talk about your own experience. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, I really appreciated this episode. I always love talking with my friend Jake. Uh, Just some announcements. A uh, new website is in the works. It soon will be launched. It's called uh, holisticpsyche.com. It will be a place for sharing of wisdom on natural mental health, different therapies, things like mythology, shamanism, mental health herbs, and the like. Um, and we actually will be accepting submissions from people for articles, personal experiences, things of that nature to really bring in the new era of mental wellness which is based more on natural approaches and not as reliant on pharmaceuticals i'd like to give a big shout out and thanks to john sved he is an audio producer who made the intro for this episode uh the piano tracks you hear are actually from our guest speaker jake duncan and this uh ending riff is a little ambient track i made back in the day So I hope you guys appreciate that. If you made it this far in the episode, you get a little treat listening to some nice music. And uh, be sure to check out Story Hour. It's a segment every week where I share a story, talk on an insightful topic to kind of, you know, bring some gems of wisdom. All right, guys. Thank you for listening.